So the next uh, four talks in our teaching series about the Church, the Body of Christ, are going to focus on some of the practical aspects as they apply in our local church setting. And the title uh, given uh, to me for our talk this week is Unity, Diversity and Harmony. You know, we just can't stress enough how important this is. I mean, not only do we know that it was one of the things that the Lord Jesus prayed about in the upper room for the unity of his disciples, um, we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writing to the church in Corinth saying, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Also in Ephesians 4, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is an urgency in his appeal because unity is so vital to any group or organisation. We've seen this in UK politics recently, haven't we? It's incredible that despite the huge majority that the Conservatives have in Parliament, that many are wondering if they can possibly survive the next election if they do not unite behind their new leader. So unity isn't just about the enjoyment of church life. It's more important than that. At stake is the very survival of the churches. As Jesus said in Luke 11, a house divided against itself will fall. And when Paul urged the Ephesians to make every effort to keep the unity, he linked it to living lives worthy of their calling, lives in keeping with the gospel, lives which are not fake or hypocritical in any way. So at stake, is not only the survival of the churches, but also the integrity of the churches. That's at stake as well. It's what we stand for. And linked to that, also at stake, is the Great Commission itself. The work that God has given us to do. If there are no churches, or if churches are not operating effectively and as God wants them to operate, then... The gospel itself is very much impeded. So the survival and integrity of the churches of God, including our church here in Manchester, and the vital work that God has given us to do is all at stake if we are not united. There's a lot riding on it, isn't there? Now you might have heard it said before, especially in relation to church practice, that unity is not the same as uniformity. Things can be together without being exactly the same. Let me read you a few verses from 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I'm going to start at verse 4. And as I read this passage, just look out for the things which are different and how they relate to the things which are the same. So 1 Corinthians 12, reading from verse 4. Paul says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. 
There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then we then get a list of the different spiritual gifts. Uh, I'm not going to read through all of those, but going down to verse 11, he says, All these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it continues, as you know, with the metaphor of the human body to highlight not only the obvious fact that there are many differences in the various functions of the many parts of the body, but that these differences are vital for the body to function properly. And then in verse 27, summarising everything that he's written before, Paul writes, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. You know, there's a lot in that one verse which not only touches on last week's subject, but it also underpins the practical application that we're focusing on this week. A local church is meant to be the expression of the church, the body of Christ. That's what Paul means when he says you are the body of Christ. We're only a part of it, obviously, but we should fully express the character and the work and the unity of the whole thing. But then, when he writes, each one of you is a part of it, Paul's saying that not only was the church in Corinth collectively part of the universal church, the church, the body of Christ, but that each person in that church, with all their diversity, was part of it. And here's the thing, although Paul emphasises the value of the various differences between us, it's always in the context and the expectation of us working together. And that's where we can face challenges and difficulty, isn't it? Because we often struggle to see and value and treat one another in the way uh, that we should, the way that God wants us to. And this is a long-standing problem in society at large, isn't it? Not just in churches. Despite all the progress that's been made in legislation and education and positive action, we still have discrimination and exclusion and the undervaluing of diversity in, in all works, walks of life. And not, not only does that cause the uh, suffering of individuals, but the divisions and conflicts it causes can have a very negative and destructive impact wherever these, these issues um, arise. Now, I'm absolutely no expert in this subject. When I realised I was going to be speaking on this subject, I thought, oh, no, not again. I've been given a difficult one. <laughs> um, but in my secular employment, I did have a role encouraging more diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And of the many things I learned in that role, 
I'd summarise the main causes of discrimination um, to be as follows. Firstly, we all have a tendency to like and trust people who we view as similar to ourselves. And therefore, a tendency to dislike and distrust people who we perceive to be different. And that's made worse by the fact that we're often unaware of our own subconscious bias in that respect. Secondly, our experiences or knowledge of one person might influence our opinions about others who we deem to be like that person that we've experienced. In other words, if we have a bad experience with someone, we might view anyone else who is in any way like the person who gave us a bad experience to be likely to give us a similar bad experience. Thirdly, there's often a failure to appreciate the true value of everyone's contribution and the value in itself of a diversity in contribution. Some say that was part of the downfall of uh, Liz Truss, that um, she only appointed people to her cabinet who shared her opinions, who were unlikely to challenge her ideas. Fourthly, there's often a lack of understanding of people who are not just like us. We might not be able to appreciate their life experiences, their feelings, their struggles and, and aspirations. And number five, there is often a lack of awareness of the impact of our actions when we do discriminate. How it makes people feel when um, they're discriminated against, uh, when they're excluded or overlooked or not given the same opportunities or not taken seriously or judged unfairly and so on and so on. I'm sure there are many other causes, um, but these were the five main ones that came to mind when I was preparing for this talk. And I'm not going to talk about each of them separately, except to say that probably all five of these causes will apply to every single one of us, to some extent. Which means that we all have the potential to discriminate, and therefore we all have the potential to cause disunity. I want to share from scripture how we can try to avoid that. But what I'd just like to do first is talk briefly about what we mean by diversity, because we might be thinking it mainly applies only to a small number of well-known things, which tend to be the things which are in the news all the time when anyone's found guilty of discrimination in those kind of areas. Um, things like gender discrimination, um, ethnicity, um, and um, sexual orientation tend to be the things that often come up um, in the news. But they're only the tip of the iceberg. Here are some of the many other important Things. And by the way, I'm not saying everything is of equal importance, but here are some of the many other important ways that we might be different from one another. Firstly, age. We have a widespread of ages in our church, don't we? Um, which means that people have different health needs, different life experiences, different physical and mental capabilities, different attitudes to risk, different outlooks on, on life and so on. And ageism is a very real form of discrimination, um, just like other areas. 
Now, I've expanded on, on that one only just a, a little, just to illustrate that when we think about diversity, it's not just about the fact that someone is different that we should be thinking about, uh, in this case, whether someone is older or younger than, than, than yourself, but it's all the associated things that go with that difference that should be part of our in our thinking, what we should be trying to think about. Other areas of diversity include people with disabilities, people with different levels of education, people with different types of occupation. I mean, is a, a lawyer or a doctor more worthy of respect than a, a gardener or a plumber or a cleaner? What about income and wealth? Often they follow on from education and occupation, don't they? It affects where people live, the company they keep, the kind of holidays they go on, if at all, how they dress, how healthily they eat, uh, and many other things. In James 2, it talks about the evil of discriminating against people based on their social and economic status. There are people in different circumstances for other reasons. Um, single parents, perhaps, where, for example, childcare responsibilities might impact their working life or their ability to socialise more than others, and they, and, and they might feel excluded if colleagues or friends don't make reasonable adjustments to accommodate their needs. Um, so, if, say, you're a team leader in a work situation and you have someone in your team who has to work flexibly because they've got to manage their life around the school run because there's no one else to take the kids to school, then you don't organise a team meeting at nine o'clock in the morning because that person's always going to be excluded. Then there are people who just... Uh, then there are people who just look different. Um, size, shape, other physical features, um, whether they've been natural or caused by some form of injury. Um, it's an area where people are very self-conscious often um, and it can lead to mental health issues, the, uh, issues of self-esteem, and made worse when they are discriminated against, treated differently because of those, um, because of the way that they look. Regional accents. Yeah, really. <laughs> Regional accents. It's amazing how many people in professional or public life feel the need to hide their accent. But whether they're a Scouser, or a Brummie, or a Geordie, or Cornwall, someone from Cornwall maybe, um, people often make assumptions about what people are like based on how they sound. You know, I'm a scouser. You can tell that from my accents. It doesn't mean I'm thick or dishonest or necessarily enjoy football, all right? <laughs> Religion, of course. A uh, huge area of diversity, especially when the associated practices and cultures are very different uh, to each other. But even within our own faith, um, there are many differences in understanding between Christians about what different scriptures mean and what God wants from our lives, either collectively or individually. And finally, as if I hadn't given you enough, there can be lots of diversity in what people are able to do, how they can contribute to the church, their skills or spiritual gifts, as we um, saw in 1 Corinthians um, 12. So there are many areas of, of diversity, far more than we might initially assume would apply in a church setting, but the fact is that we are potentially very different from one another in all these ways and others, and the more people who join a church, 
the more diversity there might be. And although that's a good thing, the more diversity we have, the more risk that we have to unity. So how can we avoid these differences causing disunity? Well, we might make the, thing, the mistake of thinking that unity is mostly to do with whether or not each church in our fellowship um, signs up to the official teaching. And the more teaching we have, the more, uh, the more unity will naturally follow. And, and obviously, that's important. But there's something else which is also vitally important. And perhaps this is where I should just highlight the other word in our subject title today. Because we can't have unity without harmony. It's not enough to have an official, approved understanding of what the faith is. The Conservative Party had an approved manifesto at the last election, but it hasn't prevented all the infighting and divisions and disunity that we've seen in the news this year. For there to be unity, there must also be harmony. And that comes down to how we treat one another. And a key part of that is how we value and respect diversity. So how do we do that? Well, I think the starting point is understanding something about how God views and values us as individuals in all our diversity. And I just want to highlight a few things that we know from Scripture. Uh, and the first one, um, first thing we should remember is that we were all created equal in God's sight. Genesis 1, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We should never forget that all human beings were created in the image of God. And although it's only gender equality that gets a special mention in that verse, uh, we can clearly see that there is nothing in these verses or anywhere else in scripture, scripture which implies that any nation or ethnic group or religious community was to be viewed more or less in the image of God than anybody else. We are all, without exception, fearfully and wonderfully made. Every human being is made in the image of God. And it's been well said that this is our starting point of understanding human dignity and equality as God sees it. <laughs> Secondly, we are all equally fallen because of sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we can see from scripture that there are different, type, that different types of sin might incur different intensities of judgment. But there is nothing in scripture which states or implies that some people are more fallen um, than others. As it says in Ephesians 2, without Christ we are all dead in our sins. There are no degrees of deadness. Um, spiritually you are either dead or alive as far as God is concerned. Thirdly, in Christ we are all equally justified. The follow-on from Romans 3 and 23 is of course verse 24, uh, which says... Um, all are sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The all who fall short is followed by the all who can be justified. And the scriptures give us no hint of there being any degrees of justification. In Christ, God views us all equally as if we've never sinned at all. And the key thing to that, of course, is that the enabler of God's justification is not anything that we have done or anything that we could do. It's only through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. His work, not ours. And as it says in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace 
through faith and not by works. And therefore, Ephesians 2 says, no one can boast. No one can claim that they are more deserving of salvation than anyone else. We all rely on God's grace equally. Fourthly, as it says in Romans 2 and 11, God does not show favouritism. In Acts 10, we read about Peter realising that God had called the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Uh, in verse 34, he says, uh, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. And likewise, Paul says in Romans 10 and 12, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. I think it's worth noting here, um, given that some of the worst forms of discrimination are due to race and ethnicity, that these verses specifically highlight that God does not discriminate in this way. The Jews had a special place in the purposes of God, but they weren't viewed as any better than anyone else. And the same is true today, regardless of where you come from, regardless of the colour of your skin or your cultural or religious background, um, God views us all equally. And Paul expands on this in Galatians 3, um, verses 26 to 28, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You notice we have this phrase again uh, that keeps coming up in relation to our, our, our wider subject, um, our membership of the church, the body of Christ. A membership that we have through faith and acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour and in no other way, uh, it's the phrase in Christ. Keeps coming up, doesn't it? And, and Paul addresses the all of that membership when he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is our status as individuals. We are all on an equal footing, an equal standing, of equal value and with equal rights, regardless of our ethnic or religious background, Jew or Gentile, or our status in society, slave or free, uh, or our, our gender, male and female, it said. But what Paul doesn't say is that there's no diversity in Christ. Now, I'm going to come back to that point um, towards the end. Um, but the key point for now is that God views everyone as equal. So regardless of our diversity, we can see that one, we're created in God's image. Two, we're all, the whole human race has equally fallen because of sin. Three, in Christ, we can all be equally justified. And the fourth point was, no matter who we are, God does not show favouritism. As maturing Christians, we should be developing a similar mindset, shouldn't we? Seeing each other as equals before God. But how do we do that in practice? What do the scriptures say about how we should view and treat each other? Well, a heck of a lot, doesn't it? You know, and certainly in the last five minutes or so that I've got left, I'm not going to cover very much of it. But let's talk about love and respect. The Lord Jesus, of course, said that loving our neighbours should be second only to our love for God. Um, as he said in Mark 12, love your neighbour as yourself, 
and that's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And of course, if we love someone, then we want the very best for them, don't we? We should aim to show the kind of love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. We don't have time to read that now, but uh, it's a standard of love, isn't it? Which leaves no room for any kind of, of discrimination. The antidote to discrimination, or at least part of the treatment, is love and respect. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, first five verses. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. How do we do that, Paul? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So we were created as equals. God views us as equals. He expects us to treat each other as equals. Rather than looking down on other people who are different to ourselves, we should actually value them higher than ourselves and put their interests before our own. And this is vital if we're to live together in harmony, isn't it? If we're to give practical expression to the spiritual unity, the spiritual unity that binds us together, if we are to be of the same mind on the things which are important to God. But I want to finish last few minutes just with one final thing, which is often misunderstood about diversity. Yes, we should value each other equally and respect each other equally. And acknowledge that we all have the same standing before God. We are all one in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we should view each other as if we were the same. You might have heard of the term colourblindness. Um, it's the answer to racial discrimination, something. In other words, treating people of colour as if they had no colour at all. And I'm just using this as an example because we have this term for what some people think is a good idea. After all, they might say, Galatians 3 surely teaches that there are no racial differences in Christ. The thing is, when we ignore what makes someone different to ourselves, we ignore everything that might be important to that person. their background, their culture, life experience, their identity. So it's actually a form of discrimination because it implies that we want that person to be more like ourselves, And that implies that we're not willing to accept them and value them just the way they are. And we can apply this to all the areas of diversity. That I, just, um, that I just touched on in this talk. So we don't ignore diversity, do we? We welcome it. We embrace it. We treat it, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, as something which is 
valuable. Every part of the church, um, every part of the body, every member of the church having the potential to contribute something which is different from their different skills and different perspectives and different experience and their different character, each different contribution of immense value. Not just to the formal service and activities of the church, but also to our collective well-being and our harmony as we live together. 